Hello, cyber friends. This is Chatting Cyber, and I'm your host, Mark Shine. This podcast focuses on how companies can help qualify and quantify the cost of a data breach. Chatting Cyber features some of the most well-respected privacy and cyber experts in the world. Join the conversation with business leaders, government agencies, and cyber experts to learn more about how and why they got into this ever-changing field that we call cyber risk. Hello, cyber colleagues. I'm Mark Shine, National Co-Chair of the Cyber Center of Excellence here at Marsh McLennan Agency. And today we have a true cyber celebrity with us, uh, Josh Gold. Josh, thanks for joining this morning. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So Josh, you know, before we were talking, um, growing up in New York City, um, how did you how did you wind up leading the cyber insurance practice for Anderson Kill, one of the you know the top law firms in the Northeast? Yeah, well, it was probably a pretty indirect or circuitous uh, route to get here. Um, I never had a cyber or insurance law class, uh, whether we're talking law school or undergrad. Um, when I first arrived uh, in the mid '90s at my firm. Uh, we were starting to see some of the big technology insurance coverage cases uh, for our corporate policyholder clients. And uh, I guess I was just young enough that the older attorneys at the firm thought I could understand technology and computers. And that kind of snowballed into some of the big discussions over Y2K. That was a big, big question mark for everybody, including uh, policyholders and insurance companies right at the turn of uh, this century. And then uh, once uh, people really were able to weaponize uh, computers and cyber and use it to either cause disruption or steal money or steal information, uh, I got involved at a very early point in doing a lot of those fights under property insurance coverage, crime insurance coverage, and obviously that's now uh, matriculated into the cyber insurance world with uh, some of the dedicated products we see. Sure. So, so if you, um, you had the ability to speak to some young attorneys um, that are just entering law school coming up in the fall, would you recommend that they, they, they look into cybersecurity? Um, should they be taking those kind of classes in school or is that something really hands-on experience is really uh, invaluable? It's probably a combination of the two. So if I were to offer advice to my younger self or people who are, you know, just starting out in their either legal or insurance careers, obviously technology is is here to stay. It's ever evolving. So we can see that, you know, the changes in the tech are are exponential which with each year. And sadly, uh, for our clients and, and for the you know society at large. I don't think cybercrime is going away. I think we're going to be living with a lot of problems, a lot of perils, and I think they're only going to get worse before they get better. Um, it's bad news for many, but if you are a service professional, whether you're an insurance coverage lawyer or a insurance broker, uh, I think there are tons of opportunities, obviously, to counsel and guide our clients and, and really put them in the best possible position they can be in. Uh, given that they're going to need all hands on deck and, and the resources, I think, to recover from a real serious breach. And, and again, I don't see that ending anytime soon. You know, and I think it's interesting, Josh, you had mentioned, you know, your experience with not only dealing with cyber policies, but property and crime and directors and officers and how they all kind of uh, play an interchangeable role into, a, you know, a complex breach. Um, 
Can, can you share a little bit about really the landmark decision? I mean, you know, I know I've read multiple uh, uh, articles on the DSW case, um, and I'm aware that, you know, you had, um, you've gotten a, a nice, uh, um, there was a nice uh, decision that came out of that. Can you just tell us a little bit about what the decision was, how you kind of came about it, and what that victory looked like? Yeah, sure. So uh, our client, uh, Retail Ventures, which I think was uh, the name of the company that had owned the uh, designer shoe warehouse uh, retail chain, um, had called our firm uh, when they had a fairly serious cyber breach uh, back in kind of uh, 2005, 2006, as I recall. And uh, we got uh, one of the first early decisions. In fact, it may have been the very first decision ever for insurance coverage for a hacking loss. And like so many retailers have, have unfortunately had to go through, um, a hacker was able to penetrate their systems, steal payment card information off of the servers, and then of course commit credit card fraud. And for any retailer, anyone that accepts uh, credit cards as part of their business model, uh, what one knows obviously is that the payment card brands will you know, demand that the, um, the, the source of the breach um, usually reimburse for those fraud charges, uh, pay some assessments, fines, penalties. Uh, those are just kinds of uh, uh, terms of art that the payment card industry uses to basically either cover the cost of reissuing cards, covering the fraudulent card charges, paying some other administrative fees. And we tendered the insurance claim to the insurance company or the client did. That claim was denied under the computer fraud insurance coverage provision that then was via endorsement to a crime policy now is very much you know, a standard insurance clause under most crime policies. And we won at the district court level, the court agreed that the loss was covered by the terms of the computer fraud endorsement to the crime policy. The insurance company appealed that decision and then we got a unanimous affirmance of the coverage ruling by the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals and finding that number one, it is a direct loss to a policyholder uh, where um, there is a hacking event and information stolen, and in turn, it leads to financial losses to the policyholder. And then the court also disagreed with the insurance company that an exclusion it had applied for confidential information. We had asserted to the court, both the district court and the court of appeals, that essentially um, payment card information, certainly while sensitive, is not confidential information. That is information that is you know, bestowed to retailers, hotel clerks, gas stations. You know, it, It's widely circulated. Doesn't mean you want it falling into the hands of a cyber criminal, but it doesn't make it confidential information. And so we were able to uh, demonstrate to the court that the confidential information exclusion could not be used by the insurance company to bar coverage. So we were very fortunate in that that case worked out well at both the district court and court of appeals levels. Um, it was a hard fought case. It took years to secure both the district court and the circuit court 
uh, appellate rulings that we uh, obtained, uh, but a very good day for policyholders. And I think we're starting to see some real traction for policyholders getting insurance coverage for cyber-related claims, not just under a cyber policy, but under lots of other business insurance policies. And obviously we've seen a, a good smattering of cases e even this year uh, ruling that there's cyber-related coverage under standard business uh, insurance coverage. So I think I think that brings us right into our next part of the conversation is um, one of the most recent decisions uh, that recently came out of the Fifth, Cir Fifth Circuit, uh, the, Lan the Landry's decision. Um, can you tell us what the implications or, or what the court case said and then what the implications are for the general liability cyber relationship? Sure. So um, Landry's, uh, as, as most people may know, is a retailer. They had payment card information stolen. Um, they got into a fight, as I recall, with their merchant bank, uh, basically saying that Landry's' retailer was responsible for the breached payment card information. And there was a legal fight uh, between Landry's and its merchant bank. Um, Landry's tendered to its CGL insurance company uh the basically the underlying litigation by the merchant bank and said this should be covered it's basically a scenario where there is a personal injury and just for those that aren't familiar with the distinction of coverages under a cgl policy personal injury coverage under gl policy is not the same as bodily injury so i know a lot of people think of personal injury as kind of you know your ambulance chasing type underlying litigation, but personal injury coverage under your typical GL policy typically covers all kinds of business torts like invasion of privacy and trespass and libel and slander and some other types of business torts. And here Landry's basically asserted to its insurance company, hey, this information got stolen. It was basically published information that invaded the privacy of cardholders, um, basically when the criminals obtained it through their hacking efforts. And the insurance company said, no, it's not really a publication. It's not covered personal injury coverage. And the Fifth Circuit basically found that the policyholder indeed was covered for the underlying lawsuit by uh, the merchant bank against Landry's. So Landry's was able to, to secure a pretty big win uh, in that regard. I, you know, as of uh, I think our recording, I believe the insurance company has petitioned the Fifth Circuit for reconsideration, and they obviously do not like the decision. Um, but right now, that's that's the decision from the Fifth Circuit. And interestingly, they just came out with another decision very recently in the HM International case, basically finding that a policyholder had directors and officers insurance coverage for a demand letter for reimbursements um, by, I think, a couple uh, who had information stolen from company systems. And basically, the court came out and said there's DNO coverage for a cyber claim. So when you put that together with the G&G oil case, which was a crime insurance coverage case from, I think, the highest state court in Indiana, 
some months back. Um, and then you that was for a ransomware claim. And then you take a look at the National Inc. case from last year, 2020, which was a property insurance case from the uh, district court in Maryland, uh, basically finding property insurance coverage for certain elements of a ransomware uh, attack that basically not only uh, destroyed and corrupted data, but also slowed down the uh, policyholders' computer systems. It, it really goes to show that cyber insurance, while certainly very, very important, it's also to keep keep in mind that you may have insurance coverage under other insurance products. And for a really serious breach, you may need all of that coverage to really fit all of the pieces of, of the puzzle uh, involving the losses and damages that uh, certainly arise from a breach. Josh, I couldn't agree with you anymore when we talked to our insurers. I mean, the need for that holistic coordination to make sure that the cyber is going to coordinate with the crime or the crime is going to possibly coordinate with the DNO. I mean, that that's that's I mean, the first thing that we necessarily look at is making sure that everything is coordinated. So to hear on the back end that you are looking at those policies when the incident does happen, I'm glad to hear that our, our interests are aligned on a go forward basis. Certainly. Um, so, I mean, we've spoken about a lot today, um, several different decisions. Um, you know, what makes you hopeful that the, the, uh, the good guys, right, the policyholders are going to end up winning this fight in the end? I, I think what is good is a few, um, a, a few forces maybe joining up to really combat the threat. So I think there's greater governmental awareness now that this threat is a real threat. It's not going away. If anything, it may be getting more serious. So I am concerned that some of these threats are going to move beyond just money and information and really start threatening um, physical damage to property, uh, start uh, sadly implicating bodily injury claims, right? We're already concerned about medical implants and, and medical devices that are chip reliant and, and have connectivity vulnerabilities. So I, I think there's a realization finally that this is an all hands on deck effort to really combat it. And, you know, government can't solve everything, sure. but it certainly is an important piece in the puzzle. And so I think you've got government agencies, lawmakers, and others really uh, attuned now to the risk that exists here. I think we've got some good cyber insurance companies um, coming out. And while I'm not usually uh, you know, aligned with insurance industry interests, just because we represent policyholders, usually when something goes wrong in terms of the insurance coverage, I will say, I think there's some really good resources out there now provided by cyber insurance companies, both on the back end once there is a breach, but also on the front end to make sure that policyholders are mindful of doing security audits, pen testing, um, sure. you know, an array of things and having the resources to train up their employees. And again, you're as strong as your weakest link here. And so even if you have 10,000 great employees who are sure. observing sure. good hygiene, uh, it just takes one or five of them to, to maybe compromise the, the organization systems. So I do think that's another um, source here or resource, I should say, that will combat the threat. 
And I'm hoping that as we all become more sophisticated users, either as individuals in our personal lives or in our professional lives, when we're remote learning, remote working, uh, communicating with our own devices, even if it's through a work portal, um, we're more careful about these things. And you know, one of the good things we're hearing, say in the ransomware space specifically, is that we're now seeing some organizations fight back with industry support. So there are tech groups now that are very altruistic and they will assist policyholders that have been the uh, victims of ransomware, avoid paying the ransom and get tools to decrypt or unencrypt their data, get that data back, get it from the criminals without having to pay a ransom and it's my hope that between maybe having good backup systems that are insulated from your day-to-day -day computing operations and then having kind of this, um, if all else fails, group that can help you for free, get decryption tools, get your data back without having to um, pay a hefty ransom, that gives me some hope, that gives me some optimism that there can be an ability to fight back against some of these really strong and sophisticated cyber gangs that are obviously roaming the world right now, uh, at least virtually, and, sure. and causing all kinds of crime mischief. And, and I, I think ultimately, uh, you know, more serious harm than just loss of money. So, so Josh, if uh, the listeners wanted to reach out to you, if they had a question or a possible matter, um, Best way to reach you, is it LinkedIn, Twitter, email, phone? Um, can you give us the, the, the best contact uh, information? Sure, sure. So even though I'm the cyber guy, I try and keep my communication as low tech as I can, so I can just control it a little bit better. Uh, but certainly reach out to us um, by telephone. Uh, email is fine as well. Um, and, and get in touch and happy to answer questions or take on matters if someone needs uh, legal uh, advice at this stage. Can we pause here for one sec, sorry. And we can resume, sorry, my phone was going. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, thanks for coming on the show and chat cyber with us. Oh yeah, my absolute pleasure. And thanks Mark and Marsh for having me.